Pretty exciting. Pretty exciting. We long to build multi-generational communities of faith, and Camp Fairwood becomes one of the points where that gets expressed uh, beautifully, beautifully. So uh, if you've never experienced Camp Fairwood, there was an accelerated look at what it means to be a multi-generational family gathering, young and old, participating in a variety of activities. And if you saw Eric and myself there in the cornhole tournament, that was our first victim. Marilyn and I went on to end up in second place, though it's disputed. There's an asterisk next to that because the champion team of the cornhole tournament had a last-minute substitution. So I think there's still an asterisk next to that cornhole champion. Uh, but looking forward to being back in the tournament this year. And, um, and, and so the sound team wasn't ready for this necessarily. Can you put up that last song? And, and the line is... And when you guys sing, I don't know if this stirs in your heart too, different, different words, uh, you just might not be able to share them from the front like I do. So we're going to go to the one that stuck out to me. Um, judge, he's our judge, defender, suffered and crucified. I mean, it's this stuff that permeates all of our songs, all of our singing. It's all the time. Romans 3.26. Would someone just be willing to read that for us? Turn to your Bibles. We're going to do a little sword drill. Okay, hold up your Bible. Romans 3.26. Would someone just be willing to read this? This is the stuff that just strikes me, and I hope stirs in your guys' hearts as we sing collectively. And, and, and someone willing to shout that out. Just read that for us. Romans 3.26. Come on. So there is this mystery that collides at the cross. Thank you, Barb, that he is our just and justifier. Now, what does it mean that he's both the just and the justifier? To put it in our vernacular, he's our judge, our defender, and he suffered and crucified. Forgiveness is in him. This is what I love about Christianity. This is what I love about the gospel message. There's this mystery. It's not just about being a good person. It is finding life and forgiveness in him, unable, unable to to meet that for ourselves. There had to be a perfect sacrifice. And the perfect judge is the one coming out of that and becoming that for us. It it is a mind-blowing mystery And this morning, so we can go back to the PowerPoint. There it was. There was the Romans shout out for the morning. Someday we'll go through Romans here. And uh, and it might be a three-year experience. Who knows? (laughs) So the journey of the king, the beauty of the text this morning, I think it connects a little bit with that. Because we're, we're now turning a corner. If you've been with us in the summer, we turned a corner from the teachings of the king to now this third movement, which is from Luke 9 to Luke 19. We're going to be in the summer and the fall, and we've now turned the corner into the journey of the king. And so as we started summer, where we started was Jesus shifted his eyes to Jerusalem. And if we don't have a clear understanding of what it means that he turned his eyes to Jerusalem, we'll have a mistaken view of what it means to follow him. We saw it beautifully displayed in the Oklahoma softball team where they were all in. Eyes up was the words, that this world is not our home, and so they play softball to the glory of God, and they are excellent softball players, but it's not their primary identity. What it means to follow Christ is where they find their identity. And then last week, those that follow, they go. They go to their homes, their neighborhoods, their world, where we live, work, and play. Those that follow Jesus go because we understand 
There's nobody that has it better than us. Our names are written in the book of life, Jesus says. That's where we find identity and security. If you treasure Jesus, your name is written in the book of life. And he says, who was it revealed to? It was withheld from the wise and understanding, and it was given, yes, to little children like us. Jesus says it was revealed not to the wise, but to the little children. Want to guess who Jesus is going to interact with this morning? This is fascinating to me. When you see the flow, these guys are brilliant. We're going to read a familiar text, the Good Samaritan. And so we're going to be pressed not to miss it because sometimes we want to identify with the Good Samaritan. But Luke actually wants us to see it through the eyes of the lawyer. He's going to ask this question, who is my neighbor? But we're going to be pressed to really ask, am I a neighbor? And I love the way this stuff is organized. There's going to be two fundamental questions that frame the text this morning. There's going to be the question of, first, right out of the gate, how do I get to heaven? And then the second question the Pharisees or the the lawyer is going to ask is, am I okay? (laughs) Jesus, am I okay? And so we're going to work through whatever preconceived idea you have of the Good Samaritan, because we're going to be tempted. We're going to be tempted to say, oh man, I got to do this stuff. What did the song lyrics say? He is our judge and our defender. (laughs) Suffered and crucified, forgiveness is in him. We are going to fight the tendency to immediately go, what must I do? Instead, we're going to hear the words of Jesus. Am I a neighbor? So here's the text. And behold, a lawyer stood up to put him to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And he said to him, What is written in the law? How do you read it? And he answered, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, You have answered correctly. Do this and you will live. Second question. But he, desiring to just himself, said to Jesus, Well, who is my neighbor then? And Jesus replied, a man was going down from Jerusalem to to Jericho, and he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. And by chance, a priest was going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place, he saw him, passed him by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. He went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day, he, he took out two denarii, essentially two months for the inn, and gave him to the incumper, saying, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. Which of these three, he asked the lawyer, do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? And the lawyer said, the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said, you go and do likewise. So as we dig in, here's what I hope from the front end we hear. It is probably the or one of the most recognized parables. This is vernacular we use in our, in our everyday place. Oh, look at that person. He was a good Samaritan. And yet, that potentially misses the very essence of what Jesus is trying to call us to. 
Instead, he's calling us to ask, am I a neighbor? So pray with me and we will, uh, we will dig in to this text with hopefully fresh eyes. Ah, oh, Jesus, you're so good. You have hidden these things from the wise and understanding is what you said and you've revealed them to little children. Fascinating that the very next text is your interaction with the, the wisdom and the wise of this world. And so may we continue to find humility and grace in hearing from your words that you have taken care of it all and we can find life in your name. Always for your glory we pray. Amen. Amen. So I think a simple, it's fascinating, but simple, two questions. Two questions that anchor this text. And we will start with the first one. The lawyer asks, how do I get into heaven? And here's where he starts. (laughs) Behold, the lawyer stood up to put him to the test saying, teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? So where does it start? What's the posture the lawyer is coming in with? Is it one of humility and grace seeking to learn and hear from Jesus? Doesn't seem to be. Instead, he seems to be entering in with this heart to outsmart Jesus. That doesn't feel like a good idea. And behold, a lawyer stood up to put him to a test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? Trying to challenge Jesus and show the inconsistency of his theology with the teachings of the Torah puts him to a test. He walks up, it's clear Jesus is teaching on something, and he walks into that environment, and and you could almost feel the arrogance, the pompous nature of this guy coming in. I'm going to show this guy that he is wrong. Just, Just step out of the way a little bit so I can help set this guy straight. Jesus is missing it, so don't worry. If you guys are feeling the way I am, I'm going to step in, and I'm going to take care of this guy. Hear that. Hear the lawyer being a brilliant guy in this community, and he knows the law. Because where's the very first place he goes? He tries to outsmart him, but here's what I love. How's Jesus respond? He responds with a question. Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? A brilliant question, and yet Jesus says to him, What is written in the law? How do you read it? Now, is this the first place we usually go in conversation when we're trying to share knowledge? It feels like this posture would go a very long way if we were willing to ask more questions as an invitation into truth. Around politics and religion, I just assume sometimes it feels like we just compete with each other about how much we know, and yet the posture Jesus takes, does anybody know the name Stephen Covey? Does that name mean anything? Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. Seek to understand before being understood. Anyone want to take a guess where Stephen Covey might have gotten that principle? Jesus. He said to him, what is written in the law, how do you read it? And notice what happens, because we're going to see this in the second question. The lawyer answers. He gives the answer. He goes straight to the law. Here's what he says. 
And he answered, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And so he's brilliant. He's taking Deuteronomy and Leviticus. He's taking Leviticus, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And he's combining it with another part in the Pentateuch. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, your mind. So brilliant guy takes the two. How does Jesus respond? He says, you got it. You got the right answer. You did it. You nailed it. You nailed the test. You you nailed what you were supposed to share. Jesus affirms. And he said to him, you answered correctly. And then he goes one step further to press this reality into this lawyer's heart. He says, and it's always been true. It's not about works righteousness. Jesus says that genuine faith gets lived out. If you believe that that is true, love the Lord your God with all your heart, strength, soul, and mind. Do this and you will live. And so I'd love to invite up Aaron Heisler real quick. Aaron, could you come, come up? And, uh, and so Aaron, <laughs> Aaron, this is Aaron. So, so Aaron has an interesting story uh, along these lines because we know the Good Samaritan story. We, we know it's, it's stopping alongside of the road. And so Aaron, could you just share a little bit of, of how this story maybe came to bear in your life recently? Sure. Yeah, good morning. My name's Aaron Heisler. Uh, David had asked me this week to share a story from last January. Uh, we were driving into church. It was cold, like most Januarys, and driving past the high school up from Brooklyn. And as we were coming past the last stop sign, we saw a gentleman pushing a stroller, walking his dog. And out of the corner of our eye, you could see the dog kind of fall over as we drove by. And my wife is like, hey, stop, stop, stop. So we pull off to the side of the road, back up, you know, the awkward, put the window down, everything okay. And it was pretty immediately obvious the dog was having some kind of a medical emergency. So Lindsay hopped out of the car. I did the same. And by the time we made it to the sidewalk, the, the dog had pretty much passed away. So here's this, this, this guy pushing his daughter in the morning. Dog passes away in the middle of the sidewalk on a Sunday morning. So we're doing our best to kind of talk with him and, and occupy his daughter. A few minutes later, the Hanky family, who I didn't see this morning if they're here, they're driving to church. They stop, <laughs> get out. Uh, we're all standing there, again, trying to just keep him calm, and he calls his wife, who's not with, and relays the news that their family dog, Diesel, had passed away on their walk. So just a sad moment. We eventually were able to take the dog back to this gentleman's house, which is right across the highway from Hillcrest, and Lindsay decided to walk with him. He didn't want to ride back. He just wanted to push his daughter back home, and as they're walking back to his house. He confides in her that his wife is not there this morning because it's her turn in the NICU with their newborn. And he's on the home rotation. You know, they're, they're cycling back in and out of the hospital. And he thought he'd be a good dad to his two-year-old. And even though it's cold, I mean, she was bundled up, just her eyes, basically visible blanket, you know, wrapped in. She can't even move. And he's out pushing her, you know, taking the dog for a walk while they have the time. So again, just heartbreaking, you know, experience for this family in that moment. So we take our kids, get them home, 
come and pick them up from church, go back home that afternoon, and we're talking to the kids about, hey, you know, sometimes God puts these moments, good or bad, in our lives, and we can, you know, choose how to react in there. And uh, so it was, it was good. The kids and, and Lindsay made a couple of meals, put them in a box, drove them back up here that afternoon. The hankies actually beat us to it. There was already a box <laughs> of soup or something else that they had made, and so we put ours next to it on the front porch, and a couple weeks later, I don't exactly remember how long, Lindsay got an email from Jill Rao in the office that this gentleman had stopped by and spent the better part of an hour uh, talking with them. And they left us a thank you card that Lindsay still keeps in the house. And, you know, as I was prepping for this, two things really stuck out in my mind was, um, you know, one, I don't know about you, but most Sunday mornings in our house are a little chaotic. Uh, church, 9 o'clock kind of sneaks up every Sunday. So I'm sure I was in a hurry, you know, trying to get here on time, and it would have just been easy to just do one of these and just go right on by. Um, and the second thing that really stuck out to me is uh, my wife is a nurse practitioner and has been in hospice care for about the last 10 years. So what are the chances that Lindsay's the first one, you know, to be able to make contact with this gentleman in that moment and someone who deals with, you know, condolence and family and death every day of the week? Uh, so I just thought that was... Uh, Interesting setup. Come on. And and if you'll allow us a peek behind the curtain, like you said, what was motivating that a little bit? If you're willing to just share a peek behind the curtain and a little bit of the heart behind it. What was in stopping originally? Yeah. Just I I don't we're not usually, you know, lights flashing on the side of the road, like stop and make sure they're okay kind of people. But in that moment again, I just saw something out of the corner of your eye and you know, the dog flying over and Lindsay's like, No, we gotta stop pulled off on the side, see if we could help. Come on. See what's going on. Come on. Thank you, Aaron. Thank you. Thank you. So be sitting in that as we enter this next portion. Who is my neighbor versus am I a neighbor? Because the lawyer is starting to feel the weight of his question. He's starting to feel the weight that he's not going to outsmart Jesus in this moment. He just revealed to himself and the world there's an infinite gap in him being able to truly embody what it means to love God with all his heart, soul, strength, and love his neighbor as himself. So where does he go? I think he enters this second question where where there's now this posture of openness. Where the question he's asking is, Jesus, am I okay? Because he seeks to now justify his life. He's now seeking to justify his behaviors and how he acted. Here's what the text tells us. Pick it up at verse 28. And he said, you've answered correctly. Do this. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, strength, and love your neighbor. as Do this and you'll live. But desiring to justify himself, he said to Jesus, who's my neighbor? (laughs) So, So rephrase that question in our vocabulary. What's he doing in that moment? What is the bare minimum that I can possibly do to still fulfill what I just said is the way to inherit eternal life? If the key to inherit eternal life, if the pathway to everlasting life 
is love the Lord your God and love your neighbor. Well, let me, I want to make sure I'm good. What is the bare minimum? And maybe this recalls back to some of the classes you took when you were growing up, or at least it does for me. And sometimes you'd go to the teacher and you'd say, man, you know, I'm trying to get out of here with a passing grade. What's like the bare minimum? Like, what do I really have to do? Like, the very, like, do I have to attend all the classes? Okay, only 70%. Got it. Okay. And what about those tests? Like, how significant? Okay, those are significant. But, but the homework? Not very much? Okay, skip all the homework. I don't need that. Just focus on the test, right? What's the bare minimum I can possibly do to pass? I think the lawyer is now asking that question because he feels the weight that this is a significant issue and now comes to Jesus and says, what do I got to do? Who is my neighbor to make sure that I pass the test? And what does Jesus do? We know the story. He begins telling a parable. And the parable goes like this. Jesus replied, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him. And departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance, a priest was going down that road. And when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was. And he saw him, and he had compassion. Now in this context, if you're unfamiliar, Samaritans would be these half-Jews. Uh, during some of these invasions, there was this shifting of geographical and uh, ethnic makeup of a population where they became inbred with some of these other conquering nations. And so now they're no longer seen as friends or fellow Jews. These are now distant, abhorrent people, Samaritans. Not only are they half-Jews, they also don't even follow the same theology. They worship differently. They worship this Yahweh at a different mountain. And so they're ethnically different, theologically different. And so this this is about as extreme as you can get. And he went to him to make the point, right? So he uses the extreme example He went to him and bound him up with wounds, pouring on oil and wine, and set him on his own animal and brought him to the inn and took care of him. On the next day, he took out two denarii and gave the innkeeper, saying, take care of him back, and whatever you spend, I will repay you when I come back. Now, I think in our world, right, we don't know, Levite, priest, Samaritan, so for me, I wonder what the equivalent would be, and, and, uh, and I think of it this way. Just if we maybe had, one of you had a visiting relative uh, driving in, and uh, maybe was coming from northern Wisconsin, and, uh, and it ended up being late. He was driving, long night, didn't get to our, our place here in southern Wisconsin as quickly, and so driving through Madison, our sweet, uh, your sweet, uh, mid-90s grandmother driving her, one of my first cars, 1994 Oldsmobile. Man, that thing was a dream. Maroon on the outside, maroon on the inside, just maroon on maroon on maroon. Power windows, power light. It was a dream back in 1994. So, so imagine your, your sweet grandmother is driving 
late night through Madison and, uh, and gets carjacked. Gets yanked out of the car, beaten, is lying in downtown Madison, and, uh, and then one of the pastors from Hillcrest, man, we're headed to the Cole Center. There's a Badger game going on. And we see the fish bumper sticker on there. And we see this lady off to the side of the road, but I don't know if you know this. Man, if you're not there at tip-off, I mean, it's just not as great of an experience. So the pastor at Hillcrest just kept on driving by. And then, man, then, then one of the elders of Hillcrest came driving by and saw the same experience and saw this car and this woman off to the side but they too had dinner appointments that they had to head to and did not want to be late cuz you know if you're if you're late you're what is it if you're early you're on time so we wanted to make sure that elder wanted to make sure and then there was a gay man that was driving by headed to an LGBTQ uh, rally and sees this woman and he pulls over and he stops and gets out, checks on her wounds, jump starts her car, offers to drive her back to her family to make sure that she's okay. Jesus then asks a question to the lawyer and to us. What is the question he asks? Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? Because so often we hear Aaron's story and we start to go, what am I supposed to do? Like, what's the line? Like, should I, should I have stopped? What's, what would I have done? What, what, who, you know, when there's that man sitting on the corner, am I supposed to stop and give him money? What, what's the line that I'm supposed to hit? What's the threshold that I'm supposed to hit to do just enough to get into eternity? Jesus flips the question. And the lawyer answers Jesus' question. What does he say? He says this. And some of the commentators make a note. I'm not sure it's there. Jesus says, which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? He said, unable to even reference the person. He doesn't say the Samaritan. He says, the one who showed him mercy. Those who treasure Jesus, there's this inevitable linkage into how we demonstrate compassion because of what we've experienced. And so Jesus then solidifies that reality. He affirms the lawyer's answer. Did you notice in both questions? He affirms the lawyer's answer, and then he gives this profound reality. He tells the lawyer and all of us that genuine faith must get lived out. He said, the one who showed him mercy, and Jesus said, go and hold a Bible study about it and talk about it with other people that treasure me. Go and study it in a different language, maybe in the original language, and study to see if if that really is what it means. You know, pray about it. (laughs) What does he say? 
you go and do likewise. And so often around here, we talk about how Mondays matter. We actually believe we gather to scatter. We gather on Sundays to worship collectively and then scatter back to our homes, our neighborhoods, and our worlds. The question that Jesus is pressing on our hearts. Because I feel like sometimes after hearing the Good Samaritan, I can't help but see myself as Aaron and go, wow. Is that what I'm supposed to do? (laughs) What do I need to do? (laughs) Versus, am I a neighbor? Jesus demands that we be all in, that we love him above anything else. When I'm talking with my wife, am I often asking this? Am I attempting to find the minimum standards? And if that's the case, I think Jesus is saying that's a really bad sign. So I love being married to Casey. If the question running through my mind is, what's the very minimum that I could do? Should I take her on a date once a month? Would that be enough? Maybe if I did the laundry from time to time? Would that quite cross the line? Is that enough? Instead, if that is the posture, it's a bad sign. So I hope this next is a reflective question. As long as we're on the same page about this first one, Jesus demands that we be all in. That there is joy to be had that flows from a relationship with him. Here's two reflective questions. How far does our love reach? Can you remember a time when your love passed all the people who love you to someone who decidedly does not love you? Can you remember a moment where you can look back and go, wow, while Aaron was stopping us along the side of the road, I was already past that moment, right? Can you remember a time where it passed all the people who love you or whatever priorities? And then second, can you remember a time when your love did not reach as far as it is today? Maybe you look back and you can see a greater forgiveness that you've demonstrated to others, a greater love that has superseded where you were in the past and actually celebrate, wow, I wish I had it then. I long for more of that tomorrow. How do we get that? Where's that come from? Does Jesus tell us now to say, (laughs) who's my neighbor? Do I ask, is that my neighbor? Is that my neighbor? Is that the question we ask after hearing this? What would be the answer? What's the other option? No. (laughs) So we're going to try one more time, Sean. And Sean is so stinking good. What a brave man. The rest of you were cowards just waiting for the first person. Do we ask, who is my neighbor? No. No. Maybe a little more enthusiastically. Do we ask, who's our neighbor? No. Instead, our love for others is linked, is linked to our love for God. Am I a neighbor? I don't force myself to start going, who's that dog on the side of the road with that family? Am I supposed to pull over? Because that's what I inevitably feel after hearing the story of the Good Samaritan. Am I doing enough? 
Am I doing enough? What's the minimum that I'm supposed to hit? Instead, the expression becomes, Jesus doesn't want us to miss it, authentic faith gets expressed in every area of our life. We stop lowering the bar to making it about who's my neighbor, and we start asking, am I a neighbor to those around me? And so we're going to do something I hope that's meaningful. Last week, we took, we took communion in a much more celebratory mode. So I'm going to invite the worship team up. And, and as we take communion this morning, we're going to reflect a little bit more on the area of growth, not in doing neighborly experiences, but rather reflecting more on this heart posture before God. And so I'm going to pray for us. I'm going to invite you up to grab uh, the elements, and then we will partake together. But I'm going to pray for that posture more and more, and then we will take communion together. God, you are so good. You're so kind to us. We long to embody what it means to see ourselves more and more through your eyes. To see ourselves that no one has it better than us. And yet we can increasingly experience more of that love. Help us embody and answer that question. Am I a neighbor by constantly seeing how good you've been to us? Always for your glory we pray. Amen.